Hey everyone, before we start the episode, I wanted to share some exciting news. We have a YouTube channel now. We started posting our episodes with some cool images and videos, so you should definitely go check it out. You can find us at On Wildlife Podcast, and don't forget to subscribe. Now let's get into the episode. Hello, welcome to On Wildlife. I'm your host, Alex Ray. On this podcast, we bring the wild to you. We take you on a journey into the life of a different animal every week, and I guarantee you you're going to come out of here knowing more about your favorite animal than you did before. I'm so pumped for this week's episode because I got to sit down with Deborah Tabart, the head of the Australian Koala Foundation. So get ready because we're heading down to Australia to talk about koalas. So koalas are unique because they're only found in Australia. They grow to be a little under 3 feet tall, and they can weigh over 30 pounds. Even though they're called koala bears, they're not actually bears. They're marsupials. Some other animals that are marsupials are kangaroos and possums. They all keep their young in pouches to help them develop. That's what makes them a marsupial. And this makes it interesting because koalas are only pregnant with their young for 35 days. They give birth and the baby, that's called a joey, has to climb from the birth canal into their pouch. Koalas spend most of their time in trees and they have a few adaptations that give them an advantage there. For example, they have opposable thumbs on their front paws which help them grip onto trees. And they also have really sharp claws which also help with climbing. And even though they seem lazy, they actually have really strong arms and legs, and that helps them with climbing as well. You'll notice something really weird if you look at their paws. Two of their toes are actually fused together. This is meant for grooming purposes, and it helps them keep their fur clean. And just when you thought koalas weren't unique enough, they also have their own fingerprints, just like people. And they spend around 20 hours a day sleeping and the rest of their time usually goes to eating. They're herbivores, so they only eat plants. And specifically, they usually only eat one type of plant, the eucalyptus plant. So koalas are pretty picky about the plants that they eat. There are over 600 different species of eucalyptus, but koalas will only eat around 60 species. And the eucalyptus is really interesting because it's actually poisonous to most other organisms. And in my interview with Deborah. We're going to touch upon how koalas have adapted to digest these plants. And they don't drink much water because they get most of their water from the leaves of the plant. Koala teeth are actually really sharp, and this is because they have to spend a lot of their time grinding down those leaves. And because eucalyptus is poisonous, their teeth wear down really easily. Sometimes, scientists can predict how long koalas will live just by looking at their teeth. And there have also been studies that show that male koalas that have worn down teeth a little bit but not too much are able to reproduce with females more frequently. And now I want to talk about koalas' senses because they don't have the best vision, but they do have some other really strong senses that are keys to their survival. First of all, they have really good hearing. You can just tell this by looking at how large their ears are compared to their head. Sometimes koalas can live far away from each other. 
so their sense of hearing can come in handy when they're trying to communicate with other individuals. The most common sound that these animals make is called the bellow. It's really loud, and males can bellow to show dominance. They also have a great sense of smell, which can be used in a lot of different ways. Male koalas have scent glands on their chest that they rub against a tree, and this could be a way for the males to mark their territory. Another way that they can use their sense of smell is to determine which leaves they can eat. Because eucalyptus is so poisonous, koalas can smell the leaf before they eat it to see how toxic it is. Okay, we're going to take a break, and when we get back, I'm sitting down with Deborah Tabart to talk about koalas and Australian wildlife in general. You don't want to miss it. Time for a trivia question. Here's an open-ended one for you. Why do leaves change their color in the fall? The answer is they stop making chlorophyll, which is found in the chloroplast of a plant cell and helps absorb sunlight to do photosynthesis. Chlorophyll is what gives the plants their green color. So when they stop making it, the leaves lose their pigmentation. Okay, so we're back. I hope you enjoy my interview with Deborah. Hi, Deborah. How are you? I'm well, thanks, Alex. Good. I'm really happy to have you on the podcast, and I really can't wait to hear what you have to say about koalas. Um, so first, just uh, tell us a little bit about yourself and how you became interested in koalas. Well, I got approached by the board of the Australian Koala Foundation in 1987 who said that they wanted someone like me to join them. They were only two years old. There were $17,000 in the bank, 89 members, some of whom were Americans. Um, so I started in February of 88. But you could not do this job for 32 years, which I have, unless you absolutely love the environment. And, like, I love all creatures, great and small. So the koalas... I am thrilled to be the koala woman, you know. That's over the years people go, oh, you're that koala woman, aren't you? <laughs> so um, I'm happy to have that. You know, it probably wouldn't be as nice to be the wombat woman. But, um, <laughs> yeah, so I think the koala is such a fantastic species to to really engage people, as we know. So I, I just love coming to work every day, even after all this time, and I think it's taken me that long to understand a lot about the animal, but also the problems and then the solutions. So it's it's been a great journey. That's that's great. Um, and can you talk a little bit more about the Australian Koala Foundation and kind of your mission there? Yep. So look, when I first got my job, you know, I was just told raise money and we were going to sort of fund universities and stuff like that, which we did. And so raising money for koalas was pretty simple. We, you know, we. You're too young to remember a man called Ken Dome, but he yeah. used to make these beautiful T-shirts and he drew koalas on them. And so I went to him and said, can you give me some money, you know? And so <laughs> he gave me $10,000, you know, so it was like that, $2 here, $5 here. Um, and running a charity is sort of fun in a way. Um, but what happened, and we started to raise money and we started to fund universities, but what would happen 
And you can imagine that Australia is like huge, like America. So koala habitat goes basically from Vancouver to the Mexican border, you know, and, and almost like the size of California and, and Oregon. So it's a huge landscape. It's 1.5 million square kilometres. Wow. It's enormous. So, so when you're trying to protect that much, you can imagine every single person like in LA said, Deborah, you've got to come and save these koalas or San Diego or Oregon. And you go, right, I'm off, you know. So, <laughs> um, so then I started to realise that it isn't just a scientific document. It's about um, cars and dogs and roads and disease and cutting down trees. It's so complicated. So... I'd only been in the job about four years and I suddenly said, we have to have maps. We have to have a map of Australia that says this is koala habitat and this isn't. And then we had to put sort of all the cities over it. So if you can imagine California and uh, Washington State, all that sort of stuff, from that distance, we now have maps. And I thought it would take like two years to do, uh -huh. but it took 23 years. Oh, my God. That's crazy. And $15 million. Jeez. So... Those maps, uh, you know, in, in America, we, we won a Smithsonian medal for those maps in 1998. So, and those maps are pretty accurate. So now when a development or a mine, a coal mine or a road, you can actually sort of understand the implications by using those maps. And, and on our website, you can actually have a look at them. Um, and so they're one of the greatest achievements for the foundation. So then between 1988 and now, then people ask me, come to this part of the country, come here, come and have a look. So I have driven pretty much this whole landscape over those 32 years. So I've just seen it all, trees coming down, dogs kill them, then they're starving to death, then a road goes through. Uh, it, it's pretty tough stuff. And then also I've worked out that it's legal. You know, the environment laws are just not strong enough. And even if they have been strong enough, then you have some politicians who come in and go, I don't like those laws, I'm getting rid of them, you know, I'm, I'm going to go and do this now. Um, and so I'm probably at the stage of my life where I'm committed to bigger laws, not just Australian laws, but I want to see international laws that uh -huh. says all creatures on this planet need to be protected like we have, you know, crimes against humanity. There should be crimes against creatures great and small. So that's my bigger picture goal, um, but on the way I've had an awful lot of koalas <laughs> teach me a lot, you know, Yeah. because it's amazing when you're with them in the bush and the other animals. I was in the bush for the last two days, so wow. I've had a great time. Yeah. That does sound really amazing, and you guys obviously are doing such awesome work. Um, so now let's start talking a little bit more about koalas. So, um, yep. Koalas are known to spend a lot of their time in the trees. So uh, what features do they have that kind of allow them to stay up there for so long? Yeah. Well, like all species, you know, they're adapted over millions of years and they've established this ecological niche up in the, in the high trees. So, and they eat this unbelievably unpalatable diet, same as the panda. Panda eats bamboo, you know, it's it. And then the koalas do too. But what our research has shown. And look, in the first couple of years, you know, while I was starting to figure it out, uh, we radio tracked 15 koalas and it was fascinating. And normally scientists um, go, 
we're not going to name these animals. In And people like Diane Fossey and Jane Goodall were really the first scientists who said, I'm going to make these animals real, you know, call them names instead of just numbers and become sort of like a scientific thing. So mm-hmm. on this site there were 15 animals and there was one called, we called him Arnie Schwarzenegger because he was big and strong <laughs> and, and whatever. And so we watched how he interacted with all the females and stuff like that. So it looked like his dad. So the first koala was named 501 because that was his radio frequency and he was a very old koala. And then we called him Levi after the jeans and I was hoping they might give me some money, you know, (laughs) because Levi jeans. But anyway, 501 is dear in my heart. And so if you can imagine a piece of bush, a bit of forest, Arnie is the head man and then there's females and there's young males and there's young babies and there's joeys and there's the old boy. So we watched all that and you could see it's very structured. So Arnie was given that territory by his father, 501. Uh, Marie and Lulu, two females, you know, they're all having babies and we didn't know exactly who the fathers were, but definitely one was Arnie's. But Lulu, we actually saw her have a baby to Arnie, Joey, and then she keeps that very close to her. She stays in the trees and the boys come to her basically. Uh But we did watch this female swim across a river and then she had um, went to bed with Dennis (laughs) uh, (laughs) and then she had a baby to Dennis, a Joey. And what we could see was that she's got both males completely confused. This is my Joey. So she gets access to both habitats. And in that habitat, there is almost like a five-star menu, you know, so there's there's trees that are really dominant, like, like meat, like a piece of steak, potatoes, vegetables, a salad, some soup, you know. So the koalas have about 10 species that they have to have to keep healthy. Mm-hmm. And what happens is when you fragment habitats and cut them down, you might end with them eating up one species like potato or peas or just a salad. So as the habitats get diminished, so does their health. So we learned all this from those koalas. And I think of them every day. You know, (laughs) I I just do. And so everywhere I go, I can say, you know, we've seen a male there. Chances are he's not going to let a big male anywhere near him. So there'll always be a little female and then she might have a little boyfriend down the road and whatever. So that's what I find fascinating. And I went on one of the islands recently and we, you know, tracked koalas or just looking for them. And you could almost predict how they're going to be. It's like, that's mum, that's dad, this is the kids, and they're all related. Wow. Pretty exciting. That's really yeah. cool. So they, they kind of have like a, a very complex social structure between them, which is something you just don't think about. No, all animals do. Yeah. And this is the thing about us humans. We're so bloody ecocentric that we just think, <laughs> Oh, you know, that's a koala's dead, you know, it's uh-huh. roadkill, as they call it in Australia. And, you know, but these are families. And so one of the things that was the biggest thing I had in my um, career when I was younger was that everyone said, oh, you know, she's too passionate, she's too caring about them. But if you don't think of them as the welfare of that family, so you start breaking up family structures, then you have declines. So, yeah, it's... And, and, of course, the scientists haven't written this up. So unless it's in the literature, someone like me talking can often be diminished because listen to my dog, Charlie, he's 
he's singing to the ambulance that's just gone <laughs> past. Anyway, um, so the thing that makes me cross too is that here we are saying we want to respect science, but some scientists are so busy gathering the data that they never write it up. So one of the things I'm proud of for the Australian Koala Foundation is that we filter this. My PR, Emma, you know, that you were talking to, I communicate this, she writes it up, then people like you can hear it and your podcast people can hear it. We have to start seeing animals as precious, mm -hmm. uh, to be protected, to not have any cruelty perpetrated on them and not that somehow other progress is allowed. And, you know, I know you're in New Jersey, New Jersey, but when I leave New York City on a train and see how much land that we've already damaged, that mm. is buildings that are empty, it is time for us to start re-looking at how we, we humans live on this planet and leave the bush alone. If I was the president of the world, I would say not one more tree should go down. I'm sick of people going, well, Deborah, that's unrealistic. No, it isn't. We've damaged, we have done so much damage and we all now have to learn more lightly and live more lightly on this planet. Yeah, and I think that that definitely starts with, like, getting that information out there for the public to to realize that these are living, breathing animals that yeah. that are important, just as important as we are. So I, that's that's really great. Um, and you were you were talking a little bit about um, their eating habits. Uh, so do they? I, I they eat a lot of eucalyptus plants yep. right so and yep. um eucalyptus is kind of toxic to other animals so so how how are they able to digest this and and why do they well, eat eucalyptus? They have, yeah they have um an incredible they've been adapted over millions of years so you know all the other animals had different parts of the forest and so they have a long cecum in which actually which is like a long digestive tract so they eat this but there's about 750 eucalypts in australia and the koalas in different parts of the country. So if you can imagine the koalas in Victoria eat like Mexican, the the koalas in New South Wales eat French, <laughs> and then the koalas in uh, in Queensland have American food. You know, so that the mums actually go, this is what we eat, and so that you can see the joeys going in the bush last week there was a mum with a baby that was just the size of a tennis ball, basically, and it was just copying its mother <laughs> and picking up the leaf, smelling it. You know, that looks delicious. Eat, eat. If you move that joey across state borders, they don't do well because they don't know what they're eating. So it's soil type, it's rainfall, and as you go towards the desert, some of the leaves, like in places like Queensland, which is rainforest and everything, the leaves look delicious. You feel like, oh, I could eat them. Uh -huh. But as you go west into the um, the desert lands, the leaves look like cardboard. <laughs> so they've obviously been adapted, you know. So, you know, when I try and try and stop coal mines or something like that, they're usually in the desert-type places. And so one day I drove out and there was a koala just eating this leaf that looked like a piece of cardboard. So, you know, this is the respect again because everyone goes oh well just move them and put them over here you know that's the classic developer you know i'm going to build here i'll move them and that i resent because i do believe that we can live amongst the environment you know i really do yeah absolutely I, and i think that we need to really start learning how to adapt to the environments that other animals are already living in 
because we don't want to exactly. be taking those habitats away. That's right. Well done. Um, okay, so do koalas have any uh, natural predators at all? Well, I don't. When they're joeys, I think we have goannas. Do you know what a goanna looks like? It's like a Komodo dragon, but oh. smaller. Mm-hmm. Uh, so this, you know, great big lizard. They will eat them. Um, and, they're, you know, you, your listeners might like to have a look at that. They're called goannas. Mm-hmm. Um, and in the rescuers and, uh, down under, you know, one of those Disney movies, <clears throat> they called one of them Joanna, Joanna the goanna. So um, <laughs> they're, they're fantastic things. Um no cars it when before white settlement and we've got to remember that the Aboriginal people who lived on this continent have been here for sixty thousand years. Yeah. You know, it's mind numbing, really, isn't mm-hmm. it? The um you know, the white man has um has only been here since seventeen eighty eight, so about two hundred and fifty years. And I personally believe there was millions of koalas when we came. And now I reckon there's less than 100,000. And, in fact, the American president, Hoover, did actually um, stop the importation of fur. So between 1890 and 1927, we have the manifests of 8 million koala skins that were sent to London and New York City for the furriers. And in my book that's coming out next year, we've got a picture of a lady wearing like a beaver coat, you know, so it's Uh a koala coat. So... I think they were in large numbers. I think that uh, the Aboriginal people did take care of the bush and there was a, and the bush was, I can't even imagine what our country looked like when we weren't here. We've done too much damage. And in my view, it's time for us to repair that damage. Absolutely. Um, and it's interesting to think about like what it was like back before we had kind of settled everything um, and made it uh, habitable for humans. Um, so we need a time machine, Alex. Yes, I would love, I would love that. <laughs> yeah, because you know, when I was starting to, you know, think, look, I, I don't know what I'm doing here. You know, it's all very well to fund this university. It's all very well to go and see people. So I did actually spend a lot of time in America, pretty much the '90s, on and off. We have an office in New York City and in Washington. Um, I spent a lot of time on the West Coast. And I uh, looked at the Oregon forests and all those things. So the powerful owls, no, the, um, what was the, there was an owl that was very endangered. I've forgotten now. But, you know, it's the same issues. It's like, and, and those redwoods, mm. 90% of the redwoods are gone. Yeah. So you think what the avenue of the giants looked like when there was 100% of them there. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's, it is. It's so humbling. And, and as we... Um, destroy the environment and we encroach on the animals and bats and you know COVID-19 came from a bat probably and poor little bats are so demonized I mean I'm in love with little bats <laughs> and I could talk to you about them forever because they're so cute oh yeah so the thing is we've got to make sure that we live where we live clean up our act and let the animals get on with what they do best and that's to create biodiversity yeah definitely and um, so th- we've been hearing a lot in the news about the Australian wildfires. Um, yes. So so what impact has that had on the koala population? Well, you know, 
Well, there was just millions of hectares that were burnt, a bit like California. And, and you know, we lost 3,000 houses and California lost 19,000. So we need to put things in perspective. But these were the hottest fires ever. And they were like hurricanes. They just, I watched a thing the other night and you just can't believe how bad it was. Some of the habitats that were burnt were empty of koalas. So we think less numbers of koalas died, but certainly Kangaroo Island had a lot of koalas, you know, tens of thousands were killed. Um, and I don't think you'll ever stop fires, but the fires are worse because of the fragmentation as they are in your country. I've been to Yellowstone and, you know, they, you have fires there. We, Mother Nature is not happy with us. And, and, and I just feel that all this extreme weather is, the UN has basically said, the extreme weather events have doubled in the last 10 years and that they will again in the next 10 years. So I feel really sad that your generation is going to be bearing the brunt of that. Mm -hmm. So as when my book comes out next year, I want to inspire you young ones. You have to understand how serious it is and find solutions that are not created. There was a group of people in America called the Bioneers and I'd really encourage you maybe to interview them. Mm. Uh, they're out of Colorado. And they said the problems of the future will never be solved by the people who created them. And I heard that first in 1992. It still gives me goosebumps. Yeah. So the thing is, you know, and I'm an elder now, you know, I used to, I wanted to stay young forever. But the thing is, us elders have to help you guys to understand the complexities and what you can do. Because really, Mother Nature is so smart that she will respond accordingly. I really believe if you take the pressure off, but we just relentlessly apply this pressure. We do, and it's shocking. Yeah, and and there have been places where we've sort of enacted change already, and we've seen how Mother Nature responds very well to that change, and and the environment can make a comeback. So it's it's definitely not too late for us to start acting. No, I agree, and it's like when they reintroduced the wolves, you know, and 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 all of a sudden, you know, they were controlling the deer, and then waterways started getting because the deer weren't in there. I mean, when when I see the poor old wolves demonised in your country, we don't really have that. We have dingoes, but nothing mm. like that main predator. Um, it's just a no-brainer once you understand it. But we've all got closed minds, and I've met some amazing, you know, farmers in the United States. Um, you know, that I could make everyone laugh. You know, I remember this cattleman said to me that food is, and no, vegetables ain't food, food eats vegetables, you know. So, <laughs> but I think it's fantastic that your generation is becoming vegan and vegetarian and much more respectful of the food we eat and how the landscapes can be softened and less impact. So our country, we have marsupials, which have really soft pads. So Anything with a hoof is not good for our landscape. But, of course, you know, we all want to eat meat. We all want to have sheep and all those things. So a lot of those industries are not going to be happy about maybe the changes that need to occur. Mm -hmm. But your generation will force it because you've got this moral compass of we don't want to see this cruelty anymore. So I do have a lot of hope, Alex, in a way. And, I, and that's why I stay in my job because I think the koala is a great flagship for conversations like this. You know, what I've learned from the koalas really gives you a holistic view of things. Yeah, and I'm, I'm glad that you have hope. That gives me hope too. <laughs> um, yeah, good. So this is going to be my last question. 
So yes. we were talking a little bit about just enacting change. So koalas are facing a lot of issues right now. Their populations are, are kind of dwindling. So what can we do to help? Well, I, I'm completely committed to new legislation. So, and I copied it from the Bald Eagle Act. So the Bald Eagle Act came in in 1941 and 50 years later, the bald eagle was safe. Prior to that, it was on its way to extinction. Mm -hmm. So really, and all they said was, don't cut its trees down. So our act is that simple. There are a lot of people who don't want that. So we have a koala army, so your people <laughs> might like to join our koala army. Yes. It's a lot of fun. I'm the commander in chief of that <laughs> army, and I love it, you know, uh, medals, the whole thing. And, um, and so we need people internationally to say, you, Australia, you, the Australian government, have to protect this species for us, for our grandchildren, because it's a global thing. Um, and, you know, if you think I'm doing a good job, we don't take any government money, so you can make a donation, you can adopt a koala. But most importantly, Alex, get engaged, you know, watching, you know, your country going to vote. Everyone's got to get engaged, mm -hmm. engaged for the future. And it could be fun if we all just go, this is a dirty, great mess we have to clean up. Let's all get to do it. To do it. I believe that Mother Nature would just get in behind us. I really do. Yeah, absolutely. And I, I think people don't uh, really recognize the benefits of having all these amazing animals around us. And, and I, I want the future generations to be able to observe these in the wild um, as well. They're, exactly. they're just, it's, they're, breathtaking um so before you go where can we find some information about the australian koala foundation well our website is savethekoala.com <clears throat> i write a diary about once a month where i just say what i feel i'm seeing <clears throat> politically and and in my country the koala army um sends out things that you can do my book is coming out, The Koala Manifesto. I'd love people to buy that. Mm -hmm. uh, and, you know, I think we try really hard to show that the koala forests of Australia protect millions of other species. So we've got this fantastic T-shirt called The Buddha of the Bush, which has got a koala with all these animals intertwined in it. Um, thinking holistically, we've all got to get off Facebook. <laughs> we've all got to stop thinking I don't like that person because they think differently to me. Yeah. We have to expand our minds, Alex. Your generation has to expand. One of the things that I can annoy people is that I'm constantly inquisitive, more inquisitiveness. Where do I fit in? How could I make life better? Do I recycle? I am so sick of seeing your generation talking about conservation but roaming around with a plastic cup. Yeah. You know, take a keep cup. All these simple things, simple things. If 7 billion of us did that, then it wouldn't be a simple thing. It would be a massive thing. Mm -hmm. And uh, so it's personal responsibility and, and live it every day, not just one day. Yeah, and and you definitely brought up an important point about um, really like looking at other people's viewpoints and saying, I respect your viewpoint and I, I'm going to try to work with you and, and we can make a compromise and come up with something together. I really believe that's true. And and I've been guilty of this. When I was young, it was my way of the highway mm -hmm. a lot of the time, especially when you're a mum, you know, go to bed, do as you talk. <laughs> but I think that it is time for discourse. But I also think it's time for action. And I want a Koala Protection Act. I am 
sort of too old in a way to think I can educate the developers or the miners anymore. It's now time for decent laws that says you have to do this properly. You can't cut corners. And if you, the community, don't want it, we need laws that says I am allowed to stop you. And American laws are actually pretty good. I learned a lot of what I know from American lawyers. But, um, you know, some companies just think they're above the law and they're not. Yeah, yeah, that's great. Well, Deborah, thank you so much for coming on today. I'm so thank glad you. you were able to share your knowledge about koalas with all of us and and the environment. That was great. And everyone, please go check out the Australian Koala Foundation. So thank you. Thank you, Alex. That interview was so great. And I don't know about you, but it made me want to go out and make some change to help our environment. If you're inspired to help koalas, you should definitely go check out the Australian Koala Foundation. Also, some other organizations that are dedicated to helping koalas and Australian wildlife are Koala Conservation Australia Inc. and the Australian Wildlife Conservancy. Thank you so much for coming on this adventure with me as we explored the world of koalas. You can find the sources that we used for this podcast and links to organizations that we reference at www.onwildlife.org And that's On Wildlife. You've been listening to On Wildlife with Alex Ray, brought to you every Wednesday.